Today we are opening up in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. We're going to start a series today on a very exciting book through a minor prophet called Jonah. Now, many of us have heard of this story, maybe have studied it, listened to it in the past. But to really study the life of Jonah, here as we're going to go one chapter a week, we're going to talk about what it means to be living obediently. And this carries the same theme, the same idea as living in the promises of God or living in the promised land, but now living obediently. What does that mean? And how can we today learn from the minor prophet Jonah what it means to run to God instead of running from God? If you like taking notes, write this down. The title of tonight's message, Running Away from God. There are different seasons in our life that sometimes we find ourselves running to God or growing in God, but here we see a season in chapter 1 of Jonah where he's running away from God. He's running away from God. But as we study this book and we talk about living obediently, we're going to also speak of the only way to live obediently is to have victory over the self life or self-will and have victory over carnality. And that's introduced to us here in the very first chapter of Jonah. Now, as a brief introduction, I want you to know this, that although it's called the book of Jonah, it's titled Jonah of his name, the main emphasis of this book is not on Jonah, it's not on Nineveh, it's not on a great fish, as sometimes we make it about that. But the emphasis of the book of Jonah is on the attributes of God. The emphasis of this book is on God. In fact, his name is mentioned 38 times in this small book. And we see the attributes or the fingerprints of God's character on the life of Jonah. In fact, we're going to learn about his grace in only four chapters. That he's patient with us that he's loving with us, that he's not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to salvation. We're going to see the mercy of God, that he's free, notice this, to show his mercy to anyone and to anywhere that he wills, that he has a concern for mercy that is extended to all creation, the mercy and the attributes of God. Or what about this? His sovereignty. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Well, we see here in the book of Jonah that he is all-knowing, that God is in control, that you cannot limit God. Would you write that down? You can't limit God. He does what pleases him and not what pleases you. There are often times in our life that we think that, that God is going to do what pleases us. No, God is sovereign he is all-knowing. He is in control. He does what pleases him according to his divine purposes, according to his divine plan. So we deal with a very important question in the book of Jonah, which is this, how do you respond to the word and the will of God? How do you respond to the word and the will of God? 
There are times that we, we think about the will of God and we, we want to now uh, be, avoid the will of God in our lives. Because we think as if it's something negative for us. No, the will of God is the expression of the love that he has for us. His will is an expression of his love that he has for us. So God has a plan here in the life of Jonah. And we tonight are to submit to that plan and to walk in it so that we don't run away from him or that we don't fight against his sovereignty. Now notice what happens here in the very first chapter. Because there's a very much so missionary emphasis or a challenge in this book. It's very evangelistic at the same time as it talks about the Lord. In chapter 1 of Jonah, you see that he's a disinterested missionary. He wants nothing to do with Nineveh. And he rebels against God and God's will. He then in chapter 2 is disturbed as a disturbed missionary. And then he repents now from rebelling against God's will. In chapter 3 of the book of Jonah, then he's disciplined as a missionary and he's restored now unto the Lord and finally in chapter 4 he's a discouraged missionary where he is filled with resentment each of us oftentimes in our life find ourselves in one of these four seasons we're either rebelling or repenting being restored or we're filled with either resentment in our hearts that's why Jonah is known as the prophet with the hard hearts the prophet with the hard heart that he was angry he was bitter but in spite of his anger and his bitterness God was able to use Jonah and we're going to see here that if we want to be effective for God we have to be motivated by a sincere love for God and a sincere burden for the lost people so here what do we see as we're running from God that we ought to never run we should stop running away from God's will stop running away from God's will and be filled now with the Holy Spirit so that we can follow the will of God I like what D.L. Moody said he said the life emptied of self is the only life that can be filled by God Christ sends none away empty but those who are full of themselves and today, God doesn't want to send us empty. He wants to fill us with himself. But as we come, Lord, and say, Lord, we've emptied ourselves of self, we want to come, Lord, and be filled with you. So there are three major things that we're going to look at in chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. Number one, the call. Number two, the storm. And finally, number three, the outcome. The call, the storm, and the outcome. It says this in Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Underline that in your Bible, from the presence of of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we ask right now 
that you would speak to us, Lord, through this short book, Lord, of Jonah. Lord, that we would not run away from you, that we would not be disobedient or rebel against your will for our lives. But we ask right now, Jesus, that you would give us the strength, Lord, the heart to surrender and to follow you, and that we would answer the call with obedience. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Now notice as we begin looking at the call, in verse 1 it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's important that we realize that the name Jonah means dove. It means dove. And we're going to see later why that's important. But this book starts and opens up with the word now or the word and in different translations. And oftentimes we don't see books open up or a paragraph or a story, a, a biography of someone's life with the word and or the word now. But it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God had a message for his prophet. And here he's listening to the voice of God. At this point in Jonah's life, he is in touch with God. He is still hearing his voice. And it's very important that we realize this at this point of Jonah's life. He is in touch with God. He is hearing his voice. But the reason why it says now the word of the Lord, because now expresses that this is a continued story of God's grace and God's mercy now revealed to us. Now God's grace is continuing. Now God's mercy continues. And it continues here as God is speaking through the prophet Jonah now. And God's word came to Jonah in two unique ways, instructing him of two different things. But notice this, as he is in touch with God, it reminds us even today that we should be hearing from the Lord. Just imagine that, right? Your name there. Now the word of the Lord came to your name. Is the word of the Lord coming to you? Because if we are too busy to spend time with God with an open Bible, then we're going to miss out on the message that he has for us. If we are too busy to seek God in his word, we are going to miss out on the message that he has for us even tonight. So what is it that he says in two different ways? Well, here he gives him in verse two, a commission. And first he says, as a part of this commission, arise and go. Go now, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city. That's the first commission out of the two. Get up, Jonah. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and look at the second part of this commission and cry out against it. Cry out judgment against the city. In fact, what the Lord is telling Jonah, rebuke their sin and call them to repentance. This is a call to salvation for these people of Nineveh. Go, Jonah, number one, arise and go to Nineveh. Number two, call and cry out, rebuke them of their sin now, and call them to repent and to turn to God. Now, there's a specific reason why God sends them there. Why? Because I have seen now their wickedness has come up before me. God saw the wickedness of the people of Nineveh. And we see here that nothing is hidden before God. 
He sees it. That's exactly why it says there in verse 2 there, I have seen their wickedness has come up before me. God is seeing now their behavior and their conduct. And notice, it may come up to God's presence to a point where he provides a warning of judgment. God is so faithful in his grace that before he sends judgment, he will send a warning. And God here is providing a warning to Nineveh, which was the capital here of the Assyrian Empire. Now, some background on Nineveh, it was that this was a Gentile pagan city. It was the center at that time of idol worship. And they were filled with pride. They were filled with greed or brutality as well. It was a very violent city. It was known for its horrific practices of slavery. In fact, this was Nineveh, the enemy of Israel. And ancient historians tell us that Nineveh was one of the largest cities of their time in the world at that time. And it was a very intimidating place to go to. So Jonah, as we know, was reluctant. Why? Because they saw, he saw the brutality. He saw the violence. He thought about the opposition. And he saw this now, God's call on his life as an impossible situation. Has God called you ever somewhere and you say, this is an impossible situation? Or this is an impossible heart to deal with. How can I ever share the word of God to them? Well, God is saying, go and evangelize that person. <laughs> go and evangelize Nineveh. What is the great commission that God has given us? Go therefore and make disciples to all nations. And this is exactly what we see that God is saying. Go now to Nineveh, Jonah. Cry out against the city because I've seen their wickedness. Now, what do we do when God says, go? You see, where he sends us, we must obey without hesitations and without excuses. Oftentimes, God calls us to go somewhere and we want an explanation. God does not give us explanations. He gives us promises and we ought to step out in faith by his promises. And say, Lord, here I am, send me. Oftentimes we say, Lord, here I am, would you send him? <laughs> or Lord, I'll go anywhere except the children's ministry. And here Jonah is saying the same thing. But he's going to learn as we see this story develop that the Lord God, Yahweh, the God of Israel is the God of second chances. How many of you can praise God for that today? He is the God of second chances. Even for rebellious people. And here we see that Jonah has a problem with loving his enemies. And because he has a problem with loving his enemies, he also has a problem with God's will for his life. I'm going to ask you something tonight. Do you have a problem where, where God wants you tonight? Do you have a problem with God's will for your life, with, with the word of God in the season of where he's called you, or are you being impatient? Have you become impulsive, or has your heart become so hard that God cannot use you until he feel, first disciplines you and teaches you to have a heart for people? Because you know what we need today is a heart for the lost. If we want the heart of God, we must have a heart for the lost. 
And Jonah here, as he's received the call of God, he's running away from God. Be careful that you're not running away from God. We see three things here, even in verse three, that he's disobedient. He becomes very selfish, but notice this one, the final one, number three, in verse two that we see here, he's impatient. He's impatient. So it says this as we continue reading verse three, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Nineveh was east, and Tarshish was as west as he can possibly go. And that's exactly where Jonah went. He fled now. It said that he was running away. Why? Because he wanted to be, and he was more loyal to his patriotism, to his country, over his theology. Why is it that I'm going to go minister to these people that are our country's enemies, that are our nation's enemies, that hate us, that want to kill us, instead of saying, I am loyal to God. You see, it shows us something very important. Who are you loyal to in your hearts? Because he's resisting what God wants to do. And we have to be careful that we are not resisting to what God wants to do, and we're going the opposite direction of what the Spirit wants. Here, Jonah was intimidated by this great difficulty, by this opposition, he was thinking about the rejection that he would face. Oftentimes, notice this in God's call for our lives that distractions oftentimes come in the form of fear. And we become fearful of where God has called us. We become fearful of the opposition. We become fearful of the rejection and the fear is a distraction as to how God wants to use us. So we cannot allow fear to dictate how we step out in obedience for the Lord. So what happens here, it says in verse 3, it says that he went down to Joppa and he fled from the presence of the Lord. What does it mean that he fled from the presence of the Lord? That he fled or he ran to get away from his presence or to get away from the service of the Lord. So Jonah ran to get away from the service of the Lord. Why? Because of the hardness of his heart. And because of the hardness of a heart, notice this, he was living in disobedience. He was living in disobedience. In fact, he was attempting to go as far as he could to flee God's call on his life. Just imagine God has a specific call on your life. And that call also is in a specific place with the gifts that he's given you. And and oftentimes we become impatient, so we start to flee, resist, or oppose God's calling on your life. Notice this, you cannot resign God's calling on your life. You can't resign that. And there's nothing worse, as Jonah's going to learn here in chapter 1, than being outside of the presence of God. There's nothing worse than being outside of God's presence. It said that he was fleeing from his presence. And when you're out of the presence of God, you know what you also are? You're out of the will of God. So how can we say we're making the right decisions if we're not in the will of God? How can we say we're making godly decisions if we're running from his presence. 
In fact, what we need to learn here as we read this verse is that we should have a desire to be in God's will and a desire to be in God's presence. And notice this, when you seek him, he's going to bless you. You will find him. So in verse 3, it says this, he, he fled a Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish again from the presence of the Lord. The Lord said, arise and go to Nineveh. And notice what Jonah did. It said that he arose to disobey. Instead of arising to obey, he arose to disobey. He got up and he found a ship leaving to Tarshish. And it said that he went down. Notice in that verse, verse 3 here, it speaks of Jonah going down two times. Anytime that we go our way, instead of God's way, we're headed downward. Anytime that we go our way, instead of God's way, we're going downward. In fact, life outside of God's will is downward. No one goes up while disobeying God. They always go down. Why? Because of disobedience. And it says that he bought a ticket or he paid the fare and he went down into Tarshish. But notice what happens here. It says in verse 3 that he paid for it. And the, the, the danger here as we read this verse is that we learn that we're not led by circumstances. By circumstances, now what does that mean? That oftentimes we think that because we can or we cannot afford something, we're led in that direction. And we're led by providence. Notice this, providence or no providence, the word of God has to be our guide, not our feelings. So whether there's providence or there's no providence, we have to depend upon God, not any other type of pretext or necessity, or circumstances. Because when you run away from the Lord, you never get where you're supposed to be going. In fact, you end up paying the price yourself. But when you go where God is calling you, he pays and provides for you. So we are never to be led by circumstances. In fact, he was led away from the presence of the Lord because of circumstances. This is the danger also of being impulsive. Oftentimes we say, well, you know what? I can afford it. I have enough money to pay the fare. I'm going to go the direction that I want to go in. And notice our favorite words, these two words that get us into trouble all the time is, I feel. You speak to people, why I just move jobs? Why? Because I feel. I just really feel the Lord doing this in my life. And we use that sometimes as an excuse to do whatever we want. (laughs) You know what happens? We become Christians that are carried away by everything and by anything. And here Jonah is emotional. So he's led by disobedience. He pays the fare now. And he's impulsive now. Notice, when you're impulsive, you know what happens here now? That it may lead you sometimes being impulsive to do something that you would condemn in someone else's life. Just think about how or what Jonah would have said to another prophet if he was disobeying God. 
When we're impulsive or when we're led by circumstances, we will approve things in our own lives that we wouldn't necessarily approve in the lives of other people. So what does he do here in verse 3? He's running from the presence of the Lord. Running from the presence of the Lord has a name. This is what it's called, rebellion. Rebellion. Why? Because we're resisting his will. And he thinks that he can run from God. Now we have to remember and be very careful to remember that we cannot run from God. We cannot run from God. In Psalms chapter 139, verse 7, the psalmist says this, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jonah had to remember that no matter what, God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God knows we cannot hide or run from God. So what do we see? We see the call of Jonah's life and that he's running from the call. Running from God's call has consequences. And you're gonna find yourself in a storm. So we see the call, now let's look at the storm. In fact, there are times in our lives where we wanna run away, but God. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation where we're running away, but God intervenes? We're looking to go one direction, but God now steps in. And notice what happens in verse four, but the Lord sent out a great wind. Don't you love that? That Jonah thought he was going one way, but God sent out the storm. God sent out the storm. He can calm the waters. Notice this. God can calm the waters, but God can also stir up a storm. And here we see that that's what's happening even in Jonah's life. But the Lord sent out a great wind or a powerful wind over the sea. It was a mighty tempest or a violent storm. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. The ship was about to be broken into pieces. This was dangerous. And it reminds us here in verse 4 that Jonah had no business being there. At this time, God sends a storm. Why? Because Jonah lost touch with God. Jonah was in touch with God, hearing his voice. Here in verse 4, he's no longer hearing the voice of God. And God sends him a storm. Now notice this. There are two types of storms we're going to find ourselves in. There are some storms of correction. And then there are other storms, the storms of perfection, where God is changing us. He's teaching us so that we learn. Sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves in a storm, notice this, because we're resisting God's will. Sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves in our storm because we're doing what we want in our lives. And we're in a storm because we're in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, so God has to send a storm. And notice what happens here in verse 5, it says, Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo 
that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Where they're crying out desperately, these men that are in this ship on their way, on their way to Tarshish. Here Jonah was called to Nineveh, and instead of Nineveh, he ends up in Joppa, and then on a ship on his way to Tarshish. And these men, the crew is crying out. The crew is crying out desperately now. They're fearing for their lives. They're desperate sailors that are shouting. Now, you see what happens here as these sailors are afraid? It was Jonah's sin that was hurting everyone that he came into contact with. Just like even our sin will hurt those that we come into contact with as well. Our disobedience will affect those around us. And we see what's happening here because they're shouting. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the lower parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Here they are, this crew crying out to their gods for help, throwing the cargo overboard to lighten the load. And what happened to Jonah? He'd gone down into the lower parts and notice what he was doing. It says here now, he was sleeping. Just imagine Jonah now disobeying the Lord thinking that he can rest in disobedience. You know what God does? He sends a storm to wake him up. Oftentimes, God in our lives, he's going to send a storm to wake us up, to remind us that we're out of his will. God uses storms in our lives to take us back to where he's called us to be. And notice what happens here. It says, so the captain came to him and said to them, what do you mean, sleeper? Think about this verse, and, and, and now let's use it even in our own life, because it says, how can you be asleep at a time like this? And he encourages them, or he exhorts them to get up and to pray to his God. He says this in verse 6, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Wake up, pray to your God. Maybe he's going to pay attention to us. Stop sleeping, notice what he says, and start praying. Isn't that oftentimes that we think that we can get away and be confident in our own strength and God sends a storm? And he tells us, stop sleeping and start praying now. But think about the rebuke that he had now here from an unbeliever telling him, wake up, Jonah, and start praying to your God. Maybe your God can hear us, and maybe, just maybe, your God will save us. Why is it that oftentimes we use prayer as our last resort? When things get bad, then we say, we're going to pray. There's a story about a, a cruise ship that was going down at the sea in a very dangerous storm. And they had sent all kinds of signals to signal, signal other ships to come and to rescue them and to help them. And they were in great danger. The winds were opposing them. And they tried one signal. It didn't work. They tried... Now, sending all different types of means of communication, and it wasn't working. And after hours of trying to now ask for help, what they do is the captain goes to this, this young girl and says, all right, we, we might as well pray. And she says, really? It's that bad? Oftentimes, we wait for something to get so bad until we start to pray. And notice what he says here, even in this verse. What do you mean, you sleeper? You know what the sleeper is? The sleeper is the 
careless Christian like Jonah. That, that Jonah slept while there was a prayer meeting taking place on the deck. You know, sleeping Christians, they don't like prayer meetings. Jonah was sleeping and had no idea of the problems around him. Oftentimes, Christians that are sleeping have no idea of what's really going on. Like Jonah, he was in great danger and didn't know it. he was sleeping. Oftentimes, believers, because we're spiritually sleeping, we don't know the great danger that we're in. In fact, Jonah was sleeping when these heathens, non-believers, needed him. And so, likewise, the church oftentimes can be sleeping, putting on the snooze button spiritually when the world needs the message of God. Look at what happens here. There was a loss of power of prayer here, and that's one of the first indications that we are far from the Lord and need to get right with God. When there is a lack of desire for the church to pray, it's an indication that we are far from God and that we need to get right with him. So verse 7 says this, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. That's a way of determining and finding out God's will. And it says that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Notice this. God identified that Jonah was the problem. What does the Bible says? Be careful because your sin will find you out. You may think you are at the deepest part of that ship, but you cannot get away with sin. And they confront him and they said, they said to him, please tell us, after he was identified, what is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you from? Why have you caused this trouble upon us? Now, his name means dove, which, which really means peace, but he's not living up to that name because he's bringing people trouble now. He's stirring up a storm in his disobedience. He's saying, what, what occupation are you? So Jonah now becomes the Christian in front of everyone. And he says in verse nine, so he said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He gives him here a theology lesson. <laughs> Jonah, while living in disobedience, says, I'm a Hebrew, I, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Now notice this, if he feared God, he would have obeyed. If we fear God, we will obey where he wants us to go. He says, I fear the one true living God who made the sea and the dry land. Notice, Jonah's life contradicted his knowledge of God. His life and his actions contradicted his words. He may have said he knew the one true living God, but he was in trouble. Notice this, because he had the wrong attitude towards the will of God. You know, when God is showing that you that he wants to do something in your life or around you, and we have the bad attitude against the will of God, we gonna, are going to find ourselves in spiritual storms. And we're not going to be able to get out of those spiritual storms until our attitude changes about God's will. If we are looking to oppose God's will, 
If we're looking to fight against God's will, we're looking to run away from God's will, and we have an attitude that wants to rebel against it, we're going to find ourselves in the consequences of those storms. It was Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, that says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Why is it that you're calling me Lord, but not doing those things that I'm commanding you? Why are you not following my will? God was using this storm in Jonah's life to bring the necessary change that he needed in his attitude. So maybe tonight God is saying, you know my will, but you have a bad attitude about it. I need you to surrender to my will. Stop running away from me. Stop like Saul kicking against the goats because it's only going to hurt you. Where God's direction is leading one way and we want to fight against it, we want to resist it, we want to do everything that we can to stop God's will. We cannot do anything to stop the will of God. We cannot. What is God's will? It's the expression of the love of God for us. In fact, I want to give you here three major things in regards to what God's will means for the believer. Number one, his will is our nourishment. Would you write that down? His will is our nourishment. What did Jesus say in John 14, verse 34? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said, my my food, my nourishment, where I find strength or sustenance is in doing the will of God. That's how I'm strengthened. That's how I'm nourished now in the will of the Father. His will is our nourishment. Now, number two, look at this. His will is our enlightenment. His will is our enlightenment. John 7, 17, the Lord says this. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. You know what his will does? It is our enlightenment. It shows us the way. It brings light to the truth and gives to us understanding. When you're in the will of God, God is leading you by his word, and his word becomes a light to your feet and a lamp to your path. His will is your enlightenment. But also, his will is our enablement. His will is our enablement. In Hebrews 13, 21, we read this, make you complete in every good work to do his will. He is going to make us complete in every good thing to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Why is his will our enablement? Because God will never ask you to do something that he will not enable you to do. His will is our enablement. Jonah was learning here to receive the will of God and not to rebel against it. There are certain consequences that are going to take place in our lives, if we decide to say we're going to fight against God's will, we better be careful that we don't say, Lord, we want to fight against your will today. 
Because notice the outcome. We saw the call. We looked at the storm, but let's look at the outcome now. It says, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, why have you done this? Think about a non-believer asking you this. They're afraid. They're saying, why have you disobeyed? They heard that he was running away from the Lord. He told them, it says, for the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And now an exhortation from a non-believer to a believer who is resisting God's will here. And notice what they say in verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Jonah, what should we do so we can stop this storm? In fact, why did you do it? (laughs) Because there's consequences for why you did that, Jonah. Why are you running away from God? Why are you resisting God's will? Anything outside of God's will is destruction. Anything outside of God's will is disappointment. Anything outside of God's will will eventually let you down. So what happened in verse 12? And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then you will see and you will be, the sea will be calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. He says, I know this is my fault. This is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued now to grow more tempestuous against them. What did it say? The men said, no, what are you, crazy? We're not going to throw you over. So what did they do? Instead, they rode harder to return to the land, but the storm was so heavy and stronger, it was violent that they could not make it. Notice this. These men could not save themselves. Isn't it interesting also from the perspective of the non-believer cruise ship that was crying out that they did everything in their power to try to save themselves in the storm? What a lesson that in the storm, you cannot save yourself. In the storm, you can't save yourself. In the storm, what do we do? We must surrender. Because it's not until you surrender that you'll learn the lesson. There are many lessons in the storms that God sends that he wants to teach us so that he would change us. So what happens in verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord. Notice, they're crying out to the God of Jonah now. They're pleading now. It says, and notice, this is what revival looks like. Revival looks like the non-believer turning and crying out to the Lord. Revival looks like those that don't believe in the Lord crying out to the one true living God. It says, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. This here is these men pleading, Lord, don't make us die for this man's sin. And they're crying now, they're saying, Lord, you send this storm upon us for your own good reason. This is why they say here, because it has pleased you as it has pleased the Lord. Do you see here that we even see the sovereignty of God in this verse where it says, the Lord, as the Lord, it pleased the Lord? The Lord is free to act as he wills. He is God, we're not God. And he can do whatever he wants. Jonah needed notice to notice this and to learn this. 
that he also himself, in his life, at this point in his life, he needed God's grace just as much as Nineveh did. And his heart was heart because he knew that God would forgive them. But his heart was also self-righteous and proudful. And he needed to know that Jonah needed Nineveh just as much as even Nineveh needed Jonah. Because Jonah was learning the grace of God here. So it says in verse 15, so they picked him up, Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea seized from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So what happens here? Sailors threw him over the raging sea. The storm stopped at once, and it proved that God, the God of Jonah, was real, number one. But it also proved that Jonah was the reason for the problem. That Jonah was the reason for the problem. You know, we have to really realize that maybe the problem is that we have someone on deck that's not supposed to be there. Maybe the problem is that we have someone on the deck of our own lives that doesn't belong there or that's not right with God. In fact, in times of spiritual trials, we have to look back at our personal relationship with the Lord and ask ourselves, Lord, am I in this storm because I'm being disobedient? Am I outside of your will? Am I experiencing right now true prayer or intimacy with the Lord? Lord, show me right now, reveal to me. Because if we act that we can do everything on our own, what happens is that God teaches us that we can do nothing without him. And Jonah thought that he can get away. But the Lord showed him very quickly here, even in these verses, that he couldn't get away. And these men, in verse, six, verse 16, it says that they feared the Lord exceedingly. What happens is that the non-believer turned to the Lord as they saw these signs. And they offered a sacrifice. They vowed to the Lord. And notice the good that came upon this. The logical response is that they offered sacrifices to God. The sailors here moved from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord. They started to fear the Lord. What does it show us here even in this verse? That God can even take any situation and use it for his glory. Think about even in disobedience, God demonstrated his power in the lives of these men. Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And what happened in these lives of these, these men? They were tossed by the winds and they tried to save themselves, but they learned that their fleshly efforts could not save themselves. They tried with their own strength, but they started to notice that even in their own strength, they couldn't do anything. And so they cried out to the Lord. And you see here in verse 17, now the Lord prepared a great fish. Who is the one that sent the storm? The Lord did. And then in verse 17, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. <laughs> Be careful that the Lord doesn't prepare a fish for you. Because it says that the Lord prepared, but notice this, God's grace and mercy on the life of Jonah. That God knew that he would be thrown overboard. And instead of him letting him die in the storm or letting him die in the sea, what happens is that God 
prepares a fish to preserve Jonah. That was even God's mercy on Jonah's life, the great fish. That was a sign of God's grace on Jonah. God's preparations, notice, are God's preservations on our lives. And God preserved him now. Notice what happens. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and also three nights. It was Jesus who said that his death and his resurrection, three days and three nights, would be foreshadowed by Jonah's experience. But notice, Jonah had a bad attitude towards the will of God. Also, Jonah had a bad attitude towards the word of God. God told him something, and he had a bad attitude towards it. So because he had a bad attitude towards the will of God and the word of God, he ran from the presence of God. Anytime we are not receiving his word in our lives or submitting to his will for our lives, we're going to find ourselves running from his presence. And because of that, we will be in the storms that he sends us. You know what we need to learn to do? Stop running away from God and start running towards him so that we can embrace his grace and his forgiveness for our lives. Can we pray tonight?